your pastor has uh, asked me to uh, speak from and follow your series of, uh, you're going through Colossians. And so uh, this passage that he asked me to speak on today is from Colossians 2, 16 to 23, and I've entitled this New Rules. Are you a rule keeper? Are you someone that, you know, you just, you're happiest when you're staying in your lane and you're keeping the rules? Uh, we live in a world, though, where rule changes are common. If you follow sports, you know that every year there's some rule that's been changed about how a goal is scored in hockey and how high can the stick be when it touches the puck and, and what's offside and, and what's icing. And, and in football, the rules are always changed. What is pass interference? What is the catch? There's always rules being changed. There's rules in place, but these rules get changed. It happens in education. You know, you start to do your, uh, your dissertation, and there's a certain way that the professor wants uh, the paper to be formatted and the footnotes, and, and then later on you find, oh, there's new rules now, and there's a new system of doing it. And of course, organizations, we, 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 we dealt with that through COVID, didn't we? New rules came. How many can gather together? How many can be safe together? And uh, new rules were coming into place. And uh, there's been a rule-based global order in place since the end of the Cold War, and the idea was that big countries wouldn't attack little countries, and there would be this spread of democracy throughout the world. But we found out when Russia invaded Ukraine that they didn't care about that rule. And uh, we're living in a time of, uh, where the rules are you know, being changed. Well, here in our passage of Scripture, I want you to see... I've underlined each time the word rule appears here. And so let me read this passage and notice the four times that Paul talks about rules. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or not celebrating ho certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Can we pray together as we begin to look in God's word? Lord, we're thankful this morning for your goodness to us. I'm thankful for this church, for the leadership that's here in the pastors, the apprentice, the staff, the board, those people, Lord, who serve here in the children's ministry, the worship ministry, everybody who makes this church come together and be a blessing to this community. Lord, thank you for Entwistle Community Church. And Lord, we pray that you will bless your word to our hearts today as they're going through the book of Colossians together. Lord, might this be a profitable time for them? Might this be a time where 
they grow understanding. And, and as we, Lord, as we look at this passage today, open our hearts and minds to get what you're trying to tell us about new rules. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Now, I just wanted to back up to the beginning of chapter 2 and just remind us of a couple of things. You know, starts off, Paul is very concerned for these believers. You know, we read in chapter 2, verse 1, that he had never been to this city of Colossae. He'd only heard about their faith, and he'd heard about some of the false doctrine that was trying to come in. And so he's writing this letter to them to try to encourage them to be strong. He says, I want you to know how much I've agonized for you. I'm concerned for you. Can you be concerned for a church that you've never been part of? Can you pray for another church? Can you care about another group of believers? Well, this is what Paul is modeling for us here. He'd never been to this church, but he's writing to them and saying to them, you know, I love you, and I'm concerned for you. And in the Baptist General Conference, this is what we do. We support one another in prayer and encourage one another. And in the evangelical church across Canada, this is what we do. We, we want to be concerned for believers everywhere. And then Paul writes in chapter 2 uh, his specific goals for this church. I want you to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. COVID really tested that across the country. And a lot of pastors buckled under that push-pull that went on within the congregation. Most pastors didn't train for that kind of ministry, to know what to do in that kind of a situation. And so we needed love. We needed tenderness and gentleness. And Paul is saying here to them, I want you to be knit together by strong ties of love. Just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow. And so Paul is laying out here some things for this church, saying, uh, be loving to one another and then focus on Christ. Because when your roots are deep in Jesus, then their spiritual life will come into you and you will grow. And then he warns them about worldly philosophy and false teaching and heresy. He says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Did you know that you can be captured by false teaching? Paul says it here. He's writing to believers. And he's saying, hey, don't let yourself be lured into their trap. And, you know, kind of uh, the appeal and the, the secret, and, and we'll talk about this as we get into it, about the things that was going on in the church. Don't let that, you know, just be focused on Christ. That's where your focus should be. Not high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and the spiritual powers of this world rather than Christ. And I think probably last week you were looking at this passage, but I love this verse, uh, this passage here. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. What a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful Lord. He forgave all my sins. He forgave all your sins the moment you believed in him and trusted him. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And took it away by nailing it to the cross. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, all my sins were put on him. All your sins were put on him. The sins of the whole world were put on him. Like John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of that was put on Jesus. And it was nailed, as he was nailed to the cross, my sins, your sins were nailed there as well. In this way... 
He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That word disarmed is in the Greek word apekdoumai. It means to strip off. And Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers, those, those demons that were chasing him in the Garden of Gethsemane and showed up at his trial and were mocking him as he hung on the cross. The greatest powers of the earth on that time, Rome and Judaism, the greatest political power, the greatest religious power, came together to put Jesus on the cross, and they were celebrating their triumph over him. And Paul shows us the paradox of the cross, that Jesus, in his victory, they stripped him and put him on the cross as a, to make a public spectacle of him. And what Jesus did, Paul says here, is he stripped away the powers of the unseen world. He, he was victorious. He took the spiritual powers and he stripped them and he held them up to contempt and he publicly triumphed over them. Now, you and I didn't see that triumph. It was unseen to human eyes. But in the cosmic, spiritual world, Christ was the victor. And we can only imagine how Satan and every demon attacked Jesus as he hung on the cross. But Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2 that if the rulers of this age, by which he meant both the spiritual powers and the political powers, if the rulers of this age had known what would happen on the cross, they would never have crucified Jesus. They were defeating themselves and they didn't even know it. And so now these demonic forces have been disarmed. All they can do now is deceive us and cause fear. They don't have any power over the believer. They're not tangible weapons. Demonic spirits only have power toward us when we grant them when we believe their lies. And so we, uh, Jesus, he disarmed the authorities, the powers, and he triumphed over them. Again, Corinthians says that he was like, uh, Paul writes about this Roman parade of a victory parade where the Roman emperor would come into Rome and he would lead the long line of captives behind him that he had captured in the war. And here would be the victorious general at the front of the parade and then trailing behind would come all of the captured enemy and the captured generals and captured kings and, and people would become trailing behind. And Paul uses this analogy and also here in Colossians of Christ triumphing. And that was unseen to our human eyes. But in the spiritual world, it was clearly seen and Paul says it was a public spectacle of how Jesus triumphed at the cross when he was buried and he rose again. And hell's imagined victory turned into defeat when he disarmed every spiritual enemy. And the public spectacle of defeated demonic forces is still resonating today. So here in this ancient city of Colossae, almost 2,000 years ago, there was an attack being made on the early Christians there. Beginning here in chapter 2 and verse 16, we start reading as we go to the end of chapter 2 that there's dangerous traps on every side of the narrow path for the Christian life. And Paul's going to identify these things here in, in the passage that we're looking at this morning. And as we journey towards the goal of a personal relationship and ultimate union with God, we learn that there are false teachings around and the false teachers don't come with us with a you know, big hideous demonic mask on and a long tail. And you know, they don't say, hey, I'm, I'm here representing Satan. They're, they're nice looking people. But they, as Jude says, they secretly come in with their heresy. 
you know, Laura and I, we live downtown Edmonton. And on our street in front of our apartment building, every weekend, uh, this four couple or four people come, two couples, and they'll set up their little stand of their Awake magazine and they'll stand there on the street corner on the sidewalk. And as people are passing by, and we live on a very uh, busy sidewalk, people are always you know, riding and walking and walking their dogs and people are visiting. And here they stand with their Awake magazine and as people come by, they try to get people to take their false teaching. They're nice-looking couples, two nice couples. And they stand there, and one stands, and the other one sits kind of to show that, hey, maybe there's an audience here, and then they'll trade places, and they'll, the other one that was sitting will now stand, and they'll trade places, and, and, and there's false teaching going on. And we got to be careful because it's around us. It's there. It's out there. And you don't just have to encounter it on the sidewalk. I mean, the Internet's full of it. And if you get going down the wrong rabbit hole and rabbit trail on the internet, you can find yourself chasing some pretty false teaching. So these early Christians in Colossae, they faced a hodgepodge of spiritual error, a mishmash of philosophy and misleading ideas, some from Jewish backgrounds, some from Gentile, some arising from pagan superstitions. And, and so all of this was coming against him in Colossae. And Paul says, hey, you need to be watching out. So look what he says. Don't let anyone condemn you. Now, thinking about this victory that Jesus just won, how he stripped off the enemy, and he publicly triumphed, and he disarmed the enemy. Now Paul transitions and says, Now, you in Colossians, you Colossians, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or not celebrating certain holy days, or new moon ceremonies, or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. So empty ritualism, Paul says, don't, don't let anyone deceive you about this. Food restrictions, special diets, observance of special ceremonies and days obviously arose out of Jewish practices. And God gave them many ceremonies in the Old Testament as shadows, as pictures, to help them look ahead to when the Redeemer would come. His name is Jesus. And the problem was that people were performing these rituals mechanically. They were just going through the motions. And Paul says that can destroy the true vitality of your faith. And these particular religious ceremonies were rituals concerning the year, the month, the week, the new moon, the Sabbath day. And of course, that came every week, the Sabbath day. And so Paul says, don't let anyone judge you about this. So isn't there some value in, in, in observing some of these things? Well, Paul says these rituals are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. Once we have the, re the real deal, the reality's been realized, the shadows are of no value anymore. If you have found Christ, you do not need the shadows anymore. Paul even includes the Sabbath day as an example. This is what Paul says was wrong with the shadows. If you're still placing a primary value on the shadow after the reality has come, then you're missing out on full participation in Christ. The reality is that Jesus is our reality. He's the center of all life and the source of hope and excitement in the Christian's experience. He is the one who walks with us through life. He comforts us in times of need and strengthens us when we're tempted. He is the refuge to run to when we're troubled or uncertain about life. And so don't let the shadows block you from seeing who Jesus really is. If you uh, 
went to school in Canada, you probably know Robert Service, his poems, and the cremation of Sam McGee, that's a, a very well-known one, and it starts off saying, there are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. And when you're thinking about false religion, there are strange things that happen. And it comes out of this legalistic mindset. Look what Paul writes in, as he goes on in chapter 2. Don't let anyone condemn me. So he said, first of all, don't let anyone condemn you by, you know, the days, months. Now he says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they've had visions about these things. You know, the false teachers like to act like they knew so much that they knew they had the inside track, you know. They had visions and they're going to give you the inside scoop pious self-denial. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. The appeal of this false religion is that, well, you got to live a certain way. you got to eat certain foods. you got to deny yourself. you got to have all of these uh, uh, bodily disciplines. And it kind of appeals, oh, what, what can I do? What can I, you know, we like to have a list, right? We like to have a list of things that we can do. And then I've done my list, and now I'm okay. And, and this was kind of the appeal of this false teaching that was coming into the church in Colossae. And legalism, of course, has, has never been able to transform lives. It, it can't ch- following rules has never made somebody a better Christian. The, in fact, we know that legalism has had devastating effects on the Christian and the Canadian church over the years. That this false humility, I guess I got ahead of myself here, but this false humility and worship of angels. In Colossae, there was a heresy, we know it today called Gnosticism, which held that there was a hierarchy of angels. So here you are, and there's all these angels, and then here's God. And so you got to get to know all about these angels before you can really be ushered into the connection with God. And Paul says, look, this worship of angels, this isn't important. But see, the, the false teachers love to come along and say, hey, I've got an inside way for you to get close to God. Paul says, look, that's, that, that, we don't need that. And, and then he refers to false humility. It claims to move you beyond self, but in actual practice, uh, it's really just focused on self. It's what you do rather than on what Christ has done. And this is what Paul is going to get to. So legalism. Uh, it's come out of, a, I think, out of a good place. You know, when I was growing up, you know, trying to protect the young people, trying to protect it, you know, doctrine, purity of life, And so there was all these man-made rules that were put on young people and Christians and churches. And they were hard to justify biblically, but people thought they were good things. I attended evangelical church, Bible college, high school. And there were certain things that Christians always were taught to avoid. And if you observe these rules, you were not only acceptable to the church, but you were actually pleasing God by keeping these rules. I was taught that Christians never drink, never dance, never smoke, never go to movies, never play cards, never play sports on Sunday. And these things were thundered on from the pulpit. And some of these things are, yes, they're part of proper discipline. I mean, the Bible talks about not getting drunk, and the Bible talks about letting your moderation. So 
we don't just throw it and say there's no rules, but under Christ, there's new rules to live and not the legalism. In the church, this became what we call legalism, which is to pursue holiness by self-effort instead of accepting the holiness that God freely gives by faith. A legalist says, everything is wrong unless you can prove by the Bible that it's right, and that reduces life to just a real narrow little sliver of how you can live. But the biblical Christian looks at life and says, everything is right. God has given us a world to enjoy and live in. Everything is right unless the Bible says it's specifically that it's wrong. Adultery is always wrong. Lying, cheating, taking God's name in vain, cursing. Those things are always wrong. There's never a freedom about those kind of things. But there's so much that's left open to us. And if we're willing to obey God in the areas that, that he designates as harmful and dangerous, then we have the rest of life to enter into in company with a Savior who loves us and guides us, and guards our walk with him. The Bible school I went to, men couldn't have a hair touching their ears. If they were touching their ears, we'd get demerits, right? So every so often, there would be a chapel service, and at the end of chapel, all the men would have to go at a certain door, and the dean of men would be standing there with a pen, and he'd be flicking your hair to see if it was touching your ears. And if it was, you got pulled over, and you're written up demerits. And the ladies would have to go at another door, and they would have to kneel on the step of the stair. And if their skirt didn't come down to their knee, they were wearing a skirt that was too short, and they would get demerits. And th- this legalism, these rules, uh, and they made it sound like if you're doing these things, this is how you're pleasing God, if you could live this way. Uh, I've had to overcome that legalistic past and, st- and walk in the freedom that I have in Christ. And you may have a struggle with it as well. And this is what Paul's dealing with here in Colossians 2. I remember once I was, uh, there was a church planner who wanted to go plant a church in Lloyd Minster. This was 35 years ago. So he and I, we, we knew there was a group of believers in Lloyd Minster and meeting together. So I was in Edmonton, pastor, and we, I took him and we went out. We met at, uh, at the restaurant there in Lloyd Minster. And in those days, when you went to a lunch meeting, you wore a tie and a, sometimes a suit coat. And so we were with our suit and tie on, and, and uh, this guy was across the table from us, and we're starting talking, and we're saying, well, you know, we're interested in planting a church here in Lloyd Minster. And, and uh, he goes, well, I could never work with this man. He points at my friend. I could never. And we just met. I could never work with him. What? What? Well, he's wearing a red tie. A red tie. Yeah. The Bible says in Jeremiah that if you wear scarlet, you're wearing the attire of a harlot. And so I I could never work with this guy. Whoa. This was the world that we grew up in. The legalistic world. And we've lost a whole generation of people from the church who got caught up in the legalistic rules and said, where's this in the Bible? And they, they left. And we're not getting them back. Augustine, one of the great theologians in the early church, he preached a sermon on love, and this was the paraphrase of that. He said, love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. So don't say, well, man, that's a license to go out and do what I want. He goes, no, loving God, if you're really loving God, then you won't have to be told rules about what to do right and wrong. You will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. Can you live that way? 
I mean, as parents, we have rules for our kids. You know, you've got to be home at a certain time, and you're not going to wear that. And, you know, we have, all, we have rules, but we don't make that a test of whether they're a good Christian or not. We have rules in the family. We have rules in, in business, all kinds of things. But those should never become the test of what makes you a good believer. It's all about Jesus. Notice what Paul says here. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You don't need these angels. You don't need this hierarchy of angels that somebody told you is between you and God. He says, you are complete in Christ. Your union with Christ, you are connected to him. Then he says about these false teachers, their sinful minds have made them proud. And they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments as it grows, and it grows as God nourishes it. Someone who is involved in this kind of false teaching cuts himself off from Christ. And when the head is cut off a human body, all life ceases. And according to Paul, the same thing happens when anyone has lost connection with the head. He loses connection, contact with the whole body, which is the church. No longer fed by the pastors, the shepherds, the teachers that you have. And then they stop growing completely. Be careful when somebody says, well, I've got a new way. I've got a secret way. I've got a hidden way that nobody knows about. And if you follow this, boy, everything's going to be okay. Paul goes on here as we come to the end of this. He says, you have died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Remember how Paul had written just a few verses earlier how Jesus had disarmed and triumphed over the spiritual powers of this world? You've been set free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? They provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. I had an elder in my church he would quote this when a young man would come to his house to pick up his daughter on a date. He would say, I want to read a verse to you from the Bible. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. I told him, I said, Bob, I don't think you're pro- applying that scripture correctly, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> what, what Paul is saying here is you have died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Don't get lured into this false uh, teaching that would say, well, there's another way, a secret way. Paul says, no, we're united with Christ. He's the head. We're part of his body. We're connected to him. You don't need angels. You don't need all these old rules that we used to have in the Old Testament. You don't need these secret things. And by the way, he says, these things will never help you conquer your evil desires. When you get to chapter 3 coming up, you're going to see how Paul's going to say all the things that we got to lay aside. And so he's just setting things up here at the end of chapter 2. And as you launch into chapter 3, you're going to see more about this, how to overcome the evil desires of our old nature. You know, when we get saved, we, our soul is saved, but our body needs to be sanctified. And so there's this struggle that goes on in our life, right, between the old and new. And, and Paul says, you know, in Galatians, there's a, a battle that's going on inside us. And so you're going you're gonna to be launching into that as you continue in your series. But Paul's saying, look, these rules, this false teaching, this uh, secret way of angels and false humility and, and observing days and seasons, this, this isn't going to get you closer to Christ. 
why do you keep on following the rules of the world? He ends up, or I want to end up, by going back to what he said earlier in chapter 2. Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let me ask you, have you accepted Jesus? There's that entry point into every, uh, to, to becoming a child of God is you have to accept Jesus as your Savior. It's not just enough to know about him or hear about him or sing songs in church on Sunday or, you know, have friends at church. That's good, but that's not going to save you. Paul says here, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. So there's that entry point into the Christian family. Have you made that decision? Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't. I want to invite you to open up your heart to Christ today and, and be saved, be born again. And then, he says, continue to follow him. Don't get caught up with all the false stuff that's out there. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong. And the same Jesus who disarmed the principalities and powers on the cross when he stripped them off himself and rose from the dead and took them all as a, as a parade that was a spectacle to all the angels and all the demonic forces saw it, that same Jesus gives you and me victory. And it will help us overcome the stuff that we're dealing with in our own lives. And so a, a zealous dedication that goes far beyond Christian discipline and seeks to please God by extreme forms of self-denial. A dedication is part of the Christian life. You know, you, you're going to get up in the morning and you're not always going to feel like reading your Bible. You're not always going to feel like going to church. So you dedicate it, you're disciplined. You read your Bible even when you don't feel like doing it. But God meets you in that moment. And when you start reading, and even though maybe at the beginning you were distracted and just trying to fit it in because you know you should do it, and then somehow the Holy Spirit just awakens you to a passage, and there's this deep moment that happens. There's discipline needed, but not this kind of false discipline that Paul's warning them about here. And he already commended the Colossians because they led disciplined, well-ordered lives. And so go back. And, and we see here, just as you accepted Christ, continue to follow him. May the Lord help us all to do that. And let's let uh, new rules guide our life. Not legalism, not trying to become holy by man-made rules, but by being connected deeply to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will bless your word to our hearts. Help us, God, to be uh, conscious, Lord, when we let old ways interfere with our new walk with you. I pray, Lord, that each person here will walk in freedom and in victory this week. Lord, you were so victorious on the cross. And although our human eyes didn't see it, we read about the victory you had over the demonic forces of the world. Lord, what a, what a moment that must have been. And now, Lord, help us to live in light of that and not to be pulled back under by the things of this world, or by the things that come against us. I pray your blessing on each one here today in Jesus' name. Amen.